2: You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbookins. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble book hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Turbogens are fictitious and should not be cooked at home.
1: This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a RotoViz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Balkman, and the FFPC on Twitter, at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Shelly Fossum, a winner of more than $30,000 in her high-stakes career with the FFPC. In this episode, we discuss the role Zero RB played in this year's FFPC main event, the rest-of-season expectations she has for Juju Smith-Schuster, Marlon Mack, and more. Also, to kick things off in this podcast, we'll hear from 2016 FFPC main event co-champion David Hubbard. The winner of the $250,000 grand prize in the contest along with his co-manager, Nelson Sousa, Hubbard breaks down the Jay Ajayi and Kelvin Benjamin trades, plus how the Vikings offense is affected by Teddy Bridgewater's potential return. You can follow Hubbard on Twitter at 208-858-740. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a RotoViz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, Rotoviz.com/podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it helps support the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, let's check in with the champ, David Hubbard. Dave, uh, Jared Cook quietly snuck up into the. Tw- Top 12 tight ends in the FFPC right now. How do you see the second half of his NFL season going for FFPC players looking to keep him in their lineups?
3: I think Cook will continue to be good. Carr, trust him, and uh, he's a big target with Cooper and Crabtree drawing all the attention. He runs free a lot. Uh, They put a safety on him or put a linebacker on him, and he's always had speed, so he's a mismatch for that. Uh, He fits their offense real nice since they really don't have a running game. And with Crabtree and Coop on the outside, it's the same old thing. If you've got an athletic, uh, speedy tight end, you can uh, beat the whatever strong safety or linebacker they try to cover him with. So. I think he'll continue to get a lot of volume from the car.
1: Certainly been a surprise so far and might continue to be a surprise down the stretch. Six teams on bye again this week. How likely is it, and I don't know how many leagues you own Robbie Anderson in, but how likely is it that you'll be starting him against the Bills uh, this Thursday night as he's coming off a six catch for 104 yards and a touchdown line against the Falcons?
3: Owned Robbie Anderson a lot last year. Don't own Robbie Anderson much this year. Uh, If I had him, I would probably playing against the Bills. Uh, Curse is involved. ASJ is involved. But uh, Robbie Anderson might be kind of hitting the miss because I think the offense uh, goes through ASJ. I think that's who they like to get the ball to. But with Robbie Anderson has speed, so uh, I can see him getting deep on some teams uh, and get a, uh, get a few catches going forward.
1: A little bit of a surprise is, is, you know, with the NFL trade deadline, we saw this week that uh, a lot of big players got moved. And one of those players was Kelvin Benjamin to the Bills and Devin Funches, where he was maybe looking cuttable last week at, at this time last week, or maybe at this time, you know, Sunday coming off, a you know, a, a below average performance. Uh, all of a sudden, he's looking like the number one for Carolina. How good can he be for fantasy owners down the stretch?
3: The funny thing is, I own a lot of both of those guys, and that's probably the best thing that's happened uh, in the last uh in a while for me in fantasy. Because now I think they're both number ones. I think it's an ideal situation for Benjamin. He goes to a team that has an elite running back and a quarterback that's capable of getting in the ball. Probably, throw, probably throws a better ball than than Cam does. So I think Benjamin big arrow up, and Funchess arrow up also because now uh, he it's going to be him and Olson if Olson ever gets back on the field with some McCaffrey. And uh, they have a couple of speed guys, so uh, the only problem with Fletcher is, is Revere and his thought process on how to run an offense. But, but um, I think they both benefit a lot from that trade. I think that helps both of them tremendously.
1: How does, you know, talking about Carolina, how does Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, how do they fit into this now? I mean, are these guys all of a sudden looking with their arrow uh, pointing up as well?
3: I think so. Everybody in that offense, uh, Curtis Samuel, um, Russell Shepard, could be another guy to keep your eye on. Russell Shepard is a guy that that seems to make plays and that they trust. So I would think uh, Russell Shepard and they'll, uh, Samuel, I think maybe it might take him a couple of years to to adjust to the NFL game. They designed a few plays for him a game. I think that'll continue. But actually it might be Russell Shepard might be the reason they cha- uh, traded Benjamin uh, Funches the number one. They think uh, Shepard's a
1: capable number two. Yeah, keep an eye on Russell Shepard for sure. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, if he is the the quarterback for the Vikings coming out of their bye uh, this coming week, uh, the, he'll be back in, or the Vikings will be back in action in week ten. If he is the starting quarterback for Minnesota, uh, how does that change their offense as far as what fantasy players or what players would see the biggest fantasy bump if Bridgewater is in there over Keenum?
3: I, I think it'll be pretty much the same. Uh, Bridgewater is a very capable quarterback, depending on he's been out of wall, and sometimes it takes guys a little while to get back going to the speed of the NFL. But, uh, but I think it helps Rudolph. I think it helps Diggs, uh, McKinnon. I, I That's who I think it helps the most because he's athletic. He can move around. He's similar to Keenan. He, he's a little more athletic and has a, a little better arm, I think.
1: Last question for you, David, before I let you go. Jay Ajayi is no longer a Miami Dolphin. He is playing on the Philadelphia Eagles. I think most owners were pretty much starting him anyway, and I think that's what will continue to happen. But is this a big boost for Ajayi, or do you think he'll uh, you know, remain relatively the same as, as as far as the numbers he was putting up already this season?
3: I don't think it's a boost for Ajayi at all. Actually, I think it's the worst team he could have went to. If you watch Philadelphia and that coach, you know, I don't know if it's Deuce Staley, I don't know if it's the head coach, but it's deaf for running backs if you go there. Last year, Ryan Matthews owned a lot of Ryan Matthews. I think it'll be the same thing. A child play, Smallwood will play, LeGarrette Blount will play. Corey, won't, don't be surprised when Corey Kuhlmint plays. Th- that coach just does not want a Belkow running back. I, I don't even know why they trade for a Jack. I guess they, they figure he can help them some and they'll give him a few cares, but – that coach is never going to give all the touches to one running back, so that's not their philosophy. And, again, I don't know if that's Deuce Daly or if that's coming from the head coach, but a Ajay is probably in the same situation. It might help Kenyon Drake and and uh, Damian Williams more than helps Ajay.
1: Yeah, definitely. If you have a Ajay, maybe, the, maybe the, the take to have is, is before you put him in your starting lineup, make sure you don't have a better option either at flex or running back before you do it
3: exactly he was yeah he's he's he was overdrafted this year for sure
1: well david uh i certainly appreciate uh you taking the time to uh, speak with me again this week i will let you get back to waivers my friend good luck to you uh this week and uh, the rest of the season we'll talk to you again soon man thanks a lot balky happy halloween thanks to david hubbard for his input this week now here's thirty thousand dollar high stakes winner Shelley fossum Shelly, uh, thanks so much for joining the uh, the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown this week. When you are not playing fantasy football uh, with the FFPC and, and high stakes fantasy football in general, what do you do for a living?
4: Um, I'm a partner in a small CPA firm, and our practice you know mainly consists of income taxes. And I would say,
1: the much in, in the way that you have to crunch numbers for that, it helps you with uh, fantasy and crunching the numbers and crunching the stats as, as far as uh, managing your teams go, right?
4: Sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Well, you know, you have, uh, you had a great year last year. I want to talk about that. But before we get to that, you have a team uh, in the top 40 in the FFPC main event uh, coming into week nine, which is uh, this coming weekend. You hit home runs really with uh, Todd Gurley and and Leonard Fournette as you you took both of those guys early on in your draft. As we are, are standing in the the face of zero RB, the the new normal uh, that so many drafters are are you know applying to their high stakes drafts. Do you feel like you know top ten to twelve running backs like Todd Gurley, like Leonard Fournette, are they coming at more of a discount in high stakes drafts? Uh, you know maybe not even this year, but last year as well in uh, in events like the the FFPC main event.
4: Well, it seemed to me that this year probably wasn't quite as much zero RB as it was last year. Um, I saw a little bit of a shift from zero RB this year, not completely zero RB, but um, I just didn't see quite as many people doing it as much as last year. And so actually I was looking at that more of, can you get a discount in maybe rounds two and three, but yet still get a strong wide receiver. Um, I know some of my teams, I I went more zero RB, even though I don't consider zero RB as far as some people go with it. I might go maybe three or four wide receivers in the first rounds and then start RB. I, I never wait till, like, round eight or nine, like I know some people have in the past. But Fournette especially, to me, I was looking at him as being – as I was walking around the boards in Vegas, looking at the boards, I was kind of surprised. And I think it might have been his foot injury that he was sometimes falling to around three or four. And I thought that was a huge bargain to get him as an RB two that late.
1: It certainly has played out that way, no question. Though the way that Fournette has just been destroying defenses this season, and and I think that it's safe to say, Shelley, that you know in in your previous drafts uh you know not even the last couple of years but you know even further than, than that you're not necessarily taking the zero rb approach um just to stockpile receivers sometimes you're just looking for you know just that value that discount that you can get like you know fournette's a perfect example even though he's a running back just any way to to, to get that value to gain that advantage in your drafts i think you're more likely to or you have seemed to be more likely to do that
4: yeah i try to go for more balance and I tend not to go the tight end super early either. Um, I tend not to do very well when I do that for some reason, so I try to target more values in the tight ends in, the say, rounds 8 to 12. I kind of try to pick some tight ends in that area that I really like that I think can still be a serviceable tight end one without upsetting the top end of my draft, and I know that's somewhat opposite of what a lot of people do.
1: I think, the, and, and from, you know, the, the people I've talked to on this show and, and the high-stakes fantasy football over the last couple of years, I've noticed that the teams that sometimes take two or three tight ends in that 8 to 12 area, those are those tend to be the tight ends that have a certain degree of upside, but also, you know, a lot of risk that comes to it. But if you get two or three of them, usually one of them will pan out to be a top 12 guy. Um, so you, you have to sink, you know, sometimes two or three picks into doing it. Uh, but it usually pans out, and and especially in a tight end premium format like the FFPC, it certainly makes sense to do that and load up on running backs and receivers early. Uh, Let's talk about your 2016. It was a banner year for you, more than $15,000 with the FFPC alone. When you look back at at how you were successful last year, did you have a lot of the same players uh, on several of your teams, or or were you building significantly different rosters to achieve all that uh, success that you had?
4: Well, once again, I try to balance, um, not totally load up on all the same players, because my theory is if I'm going to repeatedly load up on the same players, I don't know why I need multiple teams. I might as well just hit it with that one team, either I'm going to be really successful or or really unsuccessful. So, as far as teams, when I draft in Vegas, I try to, at least in the top part of the drafts, try to diversify a little bit so that my entire success isn't all on on one person. When I get down into the middle to later rounds, I probably start targeting the same people there just because if those people hit, then that's just a bonus. And if those people don't hit, I can drop them and try to replace them on the waiver wire.
1: Yeah, and it's not premium picks you're sinking into them either. So if you want to load up on, you know, those those mid round guys, yeah, think about like Alvin Kamara and Chris Thompson. I mean, they were mid round guys this year, and and clearly nobody's cutting them, but they didn't they didn't sink a, a whole lot of capital into it either. So if you can pull it off and then they hit, you already have an advantage uh, in your league, and then you know, you're talking about winning the national contest too, that's a huge advantage as well. Uh, let's talk about go right. yeah go Love ahead. Blast
4: yeah last year it was a good year, but at the same time, I made the playoffs in three out of four of my main event teams, and I lost in the first round all three of them oh. so <laughs> in a way, it was kind of a couple of bad breaks there too so
1: it could so it could have been even better, really
4: it could have even been better, yes, but yeah. you know it's how things roll, so
1: that is how things roll for sure. Uh, let's talk about uh, the uh, the latest Wunderkind or Wunderkind, however you pronounce it, in the NFL right now, Deshaun Watson, seemingly can do no wrong, Shelley. He uh, he goes to Seattle playing a very difficult defense and just has not only one of the best years or best days of, of his career, one of the best days of any quarterback ever, <laughs> you know, statistically speaking. Is it time to accept that what we're seeing with Houston now is 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 now? the norm what we can expect not only from um, Houston the rest of the season but when we go into drafts next year assuming they have Hopkins and Fuller and Miller and Foreman and and Fedorowicz and and Watson are they just an elite offense in the NFL right now with Watson or are we are we expecting to see a regression where Houston maybe drops down uh, maybe not to, to an average offense but maybe to an above average one?
4: Well, it seems to me that, you know, they're they're doing very well, but at the same time, I can't imagine they're going to continue at the pace they've been on. Um, it seems like maybe the game flow with Seattle was definitely in their favor where it was just back and forth, back and forth, and will teams continue to allow them to do that, or are they going to try to keep them off the field? As far as will it go on for good? Who knows? I mean... The NFL probably will tank this week against Indianapolis when they should just absolutely destroy them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I.
1: What about Will Fuller specifically for him? Because I keep waiting for this guy to 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 have you know a, a two for thirty-five week, and it seems like every week he catches four or five passes for right around a hundred yards and a touchdown or two. What? I mean, I, I can't I can't really explain. Um, how he's been able to sustain this, you know, for whatever it's been five or six weeks. But there's got to be some sort of negative regression coming for him.
4: Well, I guess if you're playing the odds, I'd probably take the under.
1: Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's just, it's crazy. And and I keep, I have him in several leagues this year and I keep plugging him in there expecting nothing, you know, like this will be the week that he lets me down and and he hasn't yet. And I I feel like you just, you got to keep playing him. Um, until you know he he finally has two or three bad weeks and, and then you can look elsewhere. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Another
1: another receiver, Shelley, that's just been just had his his 2017 breakout, his welcome to the NFL moment uh, with this past Sunday night for Pittsburgh. Juju Smith Schuster. This is a guy that's essentially leapfrogged Martavis Bryant on the depth chart. Obviously was was had Ben Roethlisberger's eye um, this past week. Has scored touchdowns besides. Um, what we saw happen in week 8 is he a top 30 receiver for you the rest of the rest of the way
4: Well unfortunately I only have him on one team on a on a draft experts team which is good that's I'm not complaining but I don't have him anywhere else um, but it does seem like they're moving on from Martavis and he looks really good and I guess the question is will they you know start a the opposing team start double teaming him and then leave Antonio open and you know how are they going to defend it um it's hard to defend Pittsburgh with their seems like unending receiving core that they have um you know i definitely think he could be he could be a potential league winner if he continues on the on the path he's he's going
1: what about I mean, Martavis Bryant did not, obviously, we know, did not get traded at the NFL trade deadline. Um, the Steelers have once again said he is a part of the Week 10 game plan. I, I don't know how significant a part he's going to play uh, in Week 10, given that we've heard this before, and then, uh, you know, Bryant was basically non existent in it. I mean, he, he could be cut fairly easily in, in main event and football guys' leagues uh, at this point, I would imagine. I, I don't really see a path to. Success when you have Bell, Brown, and Smith Schuster seemingly all ahead of him in, in line for targets in Pittsburgh.
4: Right. And if he continues to, you know, act not in a very professional way, if that's not something they're going to accept, I can see him probably just being put on the bench. This
1: past weekend, we saw in Indianapolis Marlon Mack finally outsnapped Frank Gore, I believe for the first time this season. Um, when you look at – and the other bit of news that we should talk about, um, Indianapolis worked out four different quarterbacks this week, which to me would suggest that Andrew Luck is is – we're not talking about a week or two. We might be talking about like another month or, or maybe he's not even going to play this season. Um, if that's the case, if Indy is looking towards 2018 right now, it would make sense, I think, to get a good look at Marlon Mack and see what they have in him. So if that's the case, A, Shelley, do you believe that that's what they will be doing? Will Marlon Mack be getting more touches uh, and and sort of be the Colts running back you want to play the rest of the way over Frank Gore? And B, does he make a good, say, top 20, top 25 option the rest of the way for fantasy?
4: Well, that's a tough one to call because it seems you know like they could go that route or they could you know, want to protect him as well and just go running back by committee and split it up with him and Gore and get their money's worth out of Gore for his last however many games. Um, I don't really have any share of much of any of Indianapolis's offense. I pretty much avoided them. I think I have T.Y. Hilton on one football guy's team, but with the situation Andrew Luck was in at the beginning of the season, I just stayed clear of, anything Indianapolis which I guess now looks like the right call but um could have also went the opposite way if Andrew Luck would have come back but I just tried to avoid the whole situation
1: yeah I didn't I didn't really get too many Colts uh on my teams this year I, I screwed up a couple of drafts and i up having to take Frank Gore as <laughs> as like uh uh my my third running back but I didn't draft Hilton anywhere. I didn't draft Moncrief anywhere. I didn't draft Doyle anywhere, which is really unfortunate because he's been very uh, looking very uh, yeah the monster week this this past week for FFPC scoring. Is he? I mean, I, as you look at this Colts offense, and and you and I are, are and Dave Gerzak too, my co-host on the HSFF hour, he was trumpeting the stay away from the Colts, stay away from Luck, you know, way, way back in July or whatever it was, and um, when when he we found out he was still not throwing. Um, so as far as that goes. Uh, knowing that you don't have a whole lot of Colts shares uh, this year if you had the opportunity to, to have Jack Doyle or Cameron Brait, let's say uh, you owned one of them and there's somebody in your league and, in like a, a, a league where you could trade um, and uh, they had the other one and, and you could make the swap or stand pat would you rather have Jack Doyle or Cameron Brate who's actually tallied more than 60 receiving yards in his last five games with Tampa who would you rather own for the rest of the 2017 season,
4: I'd probably say Brait, just because the quarterback situation's a little more stable.
1: Yeah, and like Brait too. It we they they use they sink the early pick on on OJ Howard, and we Breit. we haven't. I mean, we knew that. I would say by and large, most tight ends struggle uh, their first year uh, in the NFL. And then you have a guy like Evan Ingram who's totally bucking that trend this year. In a in an offense, he really shouldn't be. I mean, you have. Um, Really no other weapons on that offense, maybe Sterling Shepherd at this point, and then that's it and and Evan Ingram uh, continues to to put up numbers which is it's just crazy to see uh, but o j Howard is a guy that that he's had a few games, but uh, it's been Cameron Braid who's been the consistent guy there and I'd be playing braid over Howard obviously uh, the rest of the way I think I'd lean towards I think I agree with you I think I'd lean towards Brait over Doyle the rest of the way. Uh, but it might come down to, like, a matchup thing um, every week. And I think, Shelly, there's probably a lot of teams out there that have both Doyle and Breit and are able to play the hot hand. Right. The uh, end of the regular season in the FFPC main event and uh, the Football Guys Players Championship is coming up in just three weeks. We have three weeks left. Weeks 9, Weeks 10, weeks uh, Week 9, uh, 10, and 11 uh, we have to try uh, to get into the playoffs. Um, and not we, but you and and anybody else playing those events. Um, What's one piece of advice you can give to rookie owners, uh, players that have never played in those events before? This is their first year as they're coming up onto it. What's one piece of advice that you can give to players, uh, the best thing they can do or or one thing they don't want to do as these next three weeks decide which four teams from each league will make the league playoffs? Well, I
4: guess my advice is, never give up no matter how far out of it you might seem because you can go on a you can go on a roll and manage to come back um, and also you're impacting the other teams of the league i've been on both sides of that equation of where i played a team where you know their bottom third of the pack and they don't necessarily set their lineup and I've won and probably shouldn't have won had they set their lineup. And also I've been on the other end of um, should have made the playoffs, but someone played a team that didn't set their lineup. So, you know, that's frustrating that no matter how far out of it, you might think you are, you still can impact the league.
1: I, you know, and, and I'm totally with you on that. Like play out the string, be competitive. I, I sent out the, uh, the FFPC email new, newsletter email, uh, this week. And I, that was one of the things in there. And I always say, don't anger the fantasy gods. You don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to get them on, on, uh, on, uh, the wrong side or, you know, on, on their, you don't want to be on their bad side for 2018. Maybe 2017 is, is, is looking bleak for you. Uh, but a, there's still three weeks where you can, um, make a run and B you know, you're still going to be playing fantasy football next year. Don't, uh, you know, and, and I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, don't get them upset with you. The ball, this is a funny game, fantasy football. The ball can bounce a lot of weird ways, and uh, you, you want to make sure that uh, it is bouncing your way for 2018. Um, with each a week, as I alluded to, each week is more and more important, Shelley, as we get closer to not only the league playoffs, but then the, the championship sprint uh, the last three weeks of the season. Um, when you, when you go and set your lineups each week, how much time are you spending weighing those lineup decisions? Uh, for you, is it, is it better to really be as analytical as possible, look at every possible angle, or is, is it something where you historically have just gone with your first instinct, uh, when it comes to starting and benching players, uh, on a week by week basis?
4: Well, sometimes I think I don't spend enough time just because I don't always have enough time. Um. With running a business and having quite a few teams, sometimes it just turns into, a, oh, my goodness, I've got to hurry up and do waivers or I've got to hurry up and get lineups set. But what I normally do is I set my lineups on Wednesdays um, before I do waivers. I go through to kind of see where my teams are sitting. Somewhat go with, you know, just by looking at the matchups, who I think are the best matchups. And I pretty much leave it at that. On Thursday, I double check that anybody playing the Thursday game doesn't um, isn't out. And then Friday, I sometimes you know do the second round of waivers. I don't always do that, but um, and then Sunday morning, I'll recheck everything again. I try not to say overanalyze. I somewhat go with my. My first instincts um, this last weekend, I did make a couple last-minute switches because of the weather on the East Coast. A couple of them I made the right call, a couple of them I didn't. That's, that's again, how it how it rolls. So I don't spend probably as much time as I should. But,
1: but okay, and, and that's that's a fair point, but I'll tell you this. Over the years when I've been playing, I've noticed that um, I can't really remember a time where I hemmed and hawed over a decision and, and, and then ended up making the right one, ended up making the right call a lot of the time. Certainly that happens. But more often than not, when I go with my gut instinct, my first instinct, uh, it, you know, it, it seems like I'm making the correct call more than I'm not. And I, I've, I've said to myself over and over again, when I've overanalyzed, and I've, I went back and look at the decision I made. Um, I uh, I was just like, why didn't I go with my first instinct? Why didn't I go with my gut? Why didn't I just, you know, keep it simple and, and made the easy call here? And instead I over Sometimes I think it's paralysis by analysis. <laughs> and you end up hemming and hawing over something so much that you end up, tr- uh, you know, talking yourself into the wrong call. Right. I just. Yeah.
4: Sometimes it goes the opposite way, too, where like this weekend on my one main event team that is in the top 40 I had a really tough week. Because I had like four of my best players on by and it was, I have Winston and Taylor for my quarterbacks. And last week I went with Taylor cause Winston was hurt. That was the wrong call this week. I went with Winston. No opposite. I'm sorry. I, um, Yes, I went with Taylor last week, and that should I should have went with Winston. And this week I uh, went with Winston, and I should have went with Taylor. But you know, that's just how it goes.
1: That, yeah, and you know what's funny as you bring that up is in I think at least three of my leagues I had to make that decision the last two weeks. The reason I got Tyrod Taylor was because he was on waivers uh, in a lot of leagues, and I needed I had just been rolling with Winston every single week in those three leagues. But then he had the AC problem. And right. so I, I knew that I needed to pick somebody up. And so, and I did the same thing as you. I played Tyrod Taylor and then Winston plays through the injury, throws for 380 yards and three touchdowns yep. and I'm <laughs> kicking myself. And okay. I think this week what I did is I played Taylor in two of the leagues uh, and then Winston in one. So, it, you know, it, it, it kind of bit me in, in the one league. It's so difficult to make the right call because those guys to me have been, you know um, you look at the matchup and you look at, Uh, the weapons and and everything that was, you know, everything that would go into making a lineup decision. Those guys have been razor thin, in my opinion, the last couple weeks. It's so difficult to nail those calls uh, correctly uh, week in and week out. Uh, Shelly, you've been so gracious uh, with your time today. I certainly want to thank you again. Before I let you go, last question. I do want to ask you, we are in week eight um, or week nine, essentially going into week nine. Uh, you look at players that were drafted early, uh, players that have been underperforming, players uh, that you are ready to give up on or have already given up on. Um, who's, a, who's an early round uh, player that uh, you're ready to cut? And um, conversely, a guy that you ended up targeting, not necessarily that you won on the waiver wire this week, uh, but uh, a guy that you uh, targeted uh, to try to pick up in a lot of your leagues this week.
4: Well, um, I think I'm ready to give up on a couple people. One running back would be Ty Montgomery, and uh, wide receiver would be Willie Snead.
1: Yeah, Snead. I mean, there's. I don't see a path to him being successful the rest of the year with with Ginn playing so well, and you know, and, and um, uh, you know he had the, the hamstring issue, and then he was hardly out there the last week. I'm I'm totally with you on Snead. I just I don't see a way for it, for it to happen for him this year.
4: No, it just doesn't seem like he's getting involved at all.
1: And uh, a sleeper that you are that you targeted on your uh, waiver wire, maybe a potential league winner uh, that was out there. And this podcast obviously coming out uh, Thursday morning, so the FFPC waiver wire will have uh, run at this point. So you're not, you don't have, you don't have to feel like you're hiding any secrets from us. But uh, anybody that you are excited about acquiring this week, Shelley.
4: Well, this might be just a little under the radar, but um, I guess I'm kind of looking at Dontrell Inman, even though Chicago's offense just seems to be, at least their passing offense, seems to be horrific. But potentially, if he becomes their wide receiver one and they can get on track, I guess if I have someone sitting on my bench, I might as well have someone like that.
1: The uh, the excitement of the unknown, Inman, who could be the number one receiver for Chicago the rest of the season, a the guy they gave up a draft pick for. Uh, somebody's got to catch a ball for Mitch Trubisky, and and he can't just throw it seven times every game. He's gonna yeah, have... I was gonna say, might have to
4: might have to throw ten. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And and uh, and Inman will probably get uh, you know six of those targets at least. So I'm with you. You know, you could spend uh, you can use uh, there's there's a lot worse ways to spend your 20th spot on your. Uh, on your roster than, uh, than Inman. So I'm with you on that. Uh, listen, it has been a pleasure, Shelly, uh, having you on the high stakes lowdown this week. I certainly appreciate the insight that you brought to the table. I uh, wish you the best of luck uh, the rest of the way, not only in, in the main event, but in all your leagues. And uh, hopefully uh, 2017 is, is an even bigger year for you uh, than last year was. So thanks
4: a lot. Thank you.
1: rotoviz.com slash podcast
2: this episode is brought to you by decoy wines of sonoma california Decoy by Duckhorn, elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn.